Thank you. Praise the Lord. Uh, I hear it's been a, a wonderful, wonderful time, no doubt. Always is a blessing to be at conference, and I really do appreciate the invitation to come and, and to minister. And so if you have your Bible, look with me. The book of Matthew chapter 6 is where I want to take my reading from. Verse 25 is where I'm going to begin to read. Very familiar. Matthew 6, verse 25. If you just kind of hold your place. What happened during the, uh, the six-week break, you know, where our kids break from school? Uh, it was one particular afternoon that I, I took my family down to uh, Dulwich Park, and we had finished playing badminton that day, and it was just a day out for the whole family. And so we went to the park. Uh, we rented a couple of bikes for my youngest kids. And so we're just kind of parading through the park. I mean, it's a those of you who know Dulwich Park, it's a, it's a vast park. Uh, and so we, we were coming back because they only had an hour. And so as we were on our way back, my two youngest kids, they took off on these bikes. They went round a corner. You know, my daughter's 10. Uh, my youngest son's eight years old. And they come around this, this corner. And when we turned the corner, they were gone. And, of course, my wife is with me, my two oldest kids. And so we're thinking, okay, surely they're maybe the next corner. So we take the next corner, and, and sure enough, they're not there. And so to our dismay, when we got to the rental place, thinking that they had just kind of made their way back there, both our kids were not at the rental place. Now, you know, at this point, you start to kind of panic and start to worry a little bit. These are your two youngest kids in this vast park. Uh, in this climate that we're living in, this society where you got pedophiles and all kinds of crazy nonsense people, and you're wondering, where are my kids in this park? So the moment I realized what was going on, we split up. I had my son go one way, my 16-year-old uh, daughter, she went with my wife, and then I took the, the circumference of the, the, the park, I just went around the perimeters, I'm just, so let me just get all the exits and make sure they haven't gone out or someone hasn't somehow taken my kids out. And so I'm running through the park, everyone's kind of a little bit panicky, and so I get a call from my assistant pastor, Pastor, I hear the kids are lost. I said, oh, who told you that? Oh, yeah, your wife called me. I said, oh, listen, calm down. I said, you know, everything's under control. And she's got to give me a chance, you know. <laughs> So my wife is like, she starts to panic. And so I'm trying to be in control. But I know what I'm feeling, too. Because, like, these are my kids. And so sure enough, you know, I, I come back. I, I couldn't find them. I'm circling the park. Like I said, going around the circumference of the park. And, I, and we finally get back, and there they are at the rental. They had come back. Somehow they made their way back, and my kids were safe. Hallelujah. But the point is... The subject and the issue of worry is a very real problem in the world today. And it's not just people in the world who are without Christ that worry. Christians worry. Ministers worry. God's people and the saints of the Lord oftentimes, they find themselves trapped in this endless monotonous cycle called worry. And I want to talk to you about worry here today and a few things that God has taught me and some lessons that I've learned that I feel will help us so that we can maintain longevity in ministry 
and continue to do the things that God has called us to do. Matthew 6, 25, therefore I say to you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they reap, uh, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. You know, we were at McDonald's with my two youngest kids. We went cycling, and we were sitting at McDonald's outside on a bench. And so a couple of birds were sitting on the table uh, waiting for food, I guess. And so my youngest son said, Dad, how do the birds eat? I said, oh, God feeds them. And I took a chip, and I remember I put the chip down. The bird came and took the chip out of my hand and flew off with it. I said, see, look, God just fed it. God feeds birds. Can you say amen? And the Bible says, your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take you thought for raiment or your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Can you say amen? Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Let's pray. Father, we ask your grace here this morning. We pray, God, that you would cause us, Lord, to be overshadowed by your mercy, to God have confidence in you, to know that you know the end from the beginning, and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. God's people said amen. You know, when I do my devotions early in the morning, I like to uh, begin by, uh, of course, I pray, but I like my reading format is I like to read the Bible. I like to read, right now I'm reading through books of the Bible. I like to go through a book at a time. I like to read a little bit of Psalms. I like to read a little bit of Proverbs. But I always have with me a devotional book. I like to read a page or two or a chapter depending on the, 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 the format of the book itself. And so a few weeks back, I, I finished a book called The Red Sea Rule. Some of you have read it. It was actually recommended by Pastor Winston Gordon. I got the book, and I read through it. And really, the book is all about how when the children of Israel came out of Egypt... They came into the wilderness, and as they're journeying, as they're on their way, rather, they came up against the Red Sea. The Red Sea is in front of them. Pharaoh's armies are marching behind them. They are surrounded by desert on both sides. They had nowhere to go, and literally you would say they were trapped. And in that kind of a place, it's very easy to begin to worry. How can you not worry if you have more money coming out than you have coming in? 
You will always find yourself tempted to worry when you get bad news, perhaps from a family member or a far country, that someone has a terminal illness in your family. See, bad news comes, and the moment it comes, we are immediately tempted to begin to worry. And in that book, it defines worry in a number of ways. It it tells us uh, that worry is is that thing that borrows a, a channel through your mind in which all of your thoughts flow through. Can you imagine having a channel in your mind created by worry itself and all the thoughts that we think flow through that channel, everything is infused with worry. The spirit of worry or anxiety and panic has begun to take over and all of our thoughts become dominated by worry, controlled by worry. Another man said in the book, he said that worry is like a form of atheism where you literally don't believe God anymore. I remember preaching a sermon once on faith uh, uh, versus fear and that faith uh, will always bring miracles to you and fear will also bring miracles to you. Because, see, faith in God will work wonders for us uh, where faith in the devil, which is fear, will always bring tragedy to us. And what you believe the enemy for, the enemy will provide in your life. And this is what he's saying. He says, where God has put a full stop, the person who worries changes it to a question mark. And we live with these question marks not knowing when, not knowing how, not knowing where. And we're consumed with worry. And worry now begins to take over. You know, I did a short study on the psychological effects of worry on on the physical body and found that uh, it has the exact same effect on your physical body as danger does. Pending danger. When there's danger coming, something happens to you physically, psychologically, psychiatrically, in your mind, mentally. Something begins to happen, and the moment you begin to worry, it's kind of like when if a lion were to come into this building right now, people will you won't even be thinking about other people. You would jump over people, jump over chairs. You will leap over. I mean, you, you know what I'm talking about. Because something has kicked in, it's called adrenaline. You have cortisol and adrenaline. They pump through your your body. They're infused into your muscles. They enter into your bloodstream. I heard a preacher tell me once uh, that uh, they were the police were chasing a thief. Uh, and this was in Jamaica. And when he got to a bridge, uh, he jumped over the bridge and and he 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 went down about twenty feet in the air. And as he landed, he just kept running. <laughs> and so. And the reason is because something was inside him. (laughs) Listen to me here. Listen. The same thing happens when we worry over and over and over and over again. Adrenaline and cortisol are released into your body. There's no lion that's chasing you. There's no bear that's coming. And what happens is it begins to have a toxic effect upon your physical body where now your toxicity levels have risen and you have toxic waste circulating through your body. And what the study I did said was that it now begins to affect major organs, your glands, your nervous system, and your heart, leading to chronic illness and ultimately death. This is what happens in your body when you worry. And what they said was, the effect of worrying is actually greater than what you're worrying about. I was driving home from prayer 
one morning, one of the brothers had asked for a ride if I could take him home. He didn't live too far from me, and I said, no problem. He gets in the car. We're talking. Kind of a depressed brother. Always, you could see his, his face. He's always, you know, you could tell when people don't have the victory. And so I just try to talk to him. I try to encourage him. And I said, you know, what's the real problem with you? What's, what's the problem? He said, Pastor, he said, I suffer from insomnia. I can't sleep at night. I said, well, why can't you sleep? He said, because I'm afraid I'm going to die in my sleep. It's a real fear. See, worry is rooted in fear. He is constantly gripped by this truth. If I close my eyes, I'm going to die. So he keeps himself awake, and he kept himself awake so long and for too long that he's now suffering a mental breakdown. This is what happens. Let's turn back to the scriptures, and I want you to remember three stories. The first of these was Martha. Jesus comes to Mary and Martha's home. He's coming to fellowship with them. Martha runs into the kitchen. She's cooking. She's cleaning. She's peeling potatoes. She's chopping onions. I mean, she's peeling the, the cocoa yam. She's preparing rice and peas and chicken. Or maybe she's making amala and, 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 and agusi soup and, and, and pounded yam. I'm not sure. But she was making something. So while she's preparing, she notices Mary is not with her. So she runs back into the living room and sees Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, saying, Jesus, this is unacceptable behavior right here. I'm working my butt off in the kitchen, and Mary's sitting here with you. She needs to get her lazy self, uh, this lazy of a get, get up and come and help me. And Jesus looked at Martha and said, Martha, Martha, you are worrying about too many things. She was worried about her work, and that can happen to us, where your work has consumed you. All you think about is work, 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 and you become a workaholic. I know people who work three, four jobs because they're worrying, worrying that they'll never have enough, worrying that they'll never be able to pay their bills, worrying, and they don't realize that they're robbing themselves because life is more than just about work. Now, we understand that there is a strong work ethic teaching in the Bible. Jesus taught work. God, in the beginning, when he created Adam, commanded Adam to work. And we understand the importance of work and the importance of a strong work ethic. But work is not all there is to living. People are so consumed with their job that they can't attend church. Consumed with their job that their ministry begins to suffer. Consumed with their job that their family are now the ones that are having this adverse effect. And what I'm trying to say to you is what God was saying to Martha, stop worrying about your work. Jesus is at a wedding in Canaan. And the Bible says that when Jesus got there, the wedding ceremony, the party began. Everybody's excited. Everyone's happy. Till they ran out of wine. Now the people began to panic. So they're running to Jesus. Jesus, we're in trouble. We need some wine. Jesus said, hey, listen, my time is not yet. What are you talking about? Oh, listen. And so anyway, cut a long story short, Jesus turned water into wine and saved the day. Should I tell you what the people were really worrying about? They weren't really worrying about the wine. They were worrying about how they appeared before other people. This is going to make us look really bad. We've thrown a wedding party, and all of a sudden we've run out of wine. This looks really bad on us. 
their reputation before other people, how other people perceive them. Can I say to you, you better never be worried about what people think about you. Amen. Oh, listen, and you better learn how to balance that because, you know, some people don't know how to listen to preaching. You need to worry about what people think about you, but you don't need to worry about pe what people think about you. Amen. If you're a lying, thieving, fornicating, adulterer, and a pornographer, then you ought to worry, uh-oh, about what people are thinking about me. I need to clean up my act. But listen to me here. If you're doing right, if you're living clean, if you love Jesus, it doesn't matter who likes you from who doesn't like you. You can run out. Oh, y'all didn't hear what I'm just saying here. I don't care what you think about me because I wear the same tie to church every week. That's all I've got. Oh, yeah. And if all I have is one tie, I will wash my tie, iron that tie, straighten that tie. If all I've got are one pair of shoes, I might not be up to date with the fashions, but you can talk about me and say his church wear is like a school uniform. Thank you very much for the compliment. I'm not concerned. I'm not going to get into debt because of what you think about me. Not gonna worry about it. And people are so consumed. Oh, no, no, I got to, I don't have enough money to get married yet because these people, when they got married, they spent 20,000. If I spend only uh, two, 200 pounds, people can be laughing at me. I don't care. Look, my younger brother's here uh, this morning and, and, and he, he got married and didn't go on his honeymoon until six years after his wedding. That's nothing to laugh about. What he's saying is, hey, it is what it is. I don't have the money, and if I don't have the money, I'm not going to kill myself. I'm not going to get myself a credit card. I don't care what people are saying. I love my wife, and once I'm married, I'm married. I got my wife. Amen. Get yours. And what's happened is people are so enraptured by what people think about them. Jesus is in a boat. His disciples are with him. A storm rises. And while they're in this boat and the storm is raging, people are panicking for their lives. We're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. As the waves are dashing against the boat. And they come to Jesus, their only hope. And where do they find him? Sleeping. I mean, are you serious, Jesus? Don't you care? That we're about to perish? And the Bible says uh, Jesus woke up and just rebuked the winds. And it's like, what manner of man is this? Even the winds obey him. My God. I got a revelation when I read that story. If Jesus can sleep through the midst of my storm, I can sleep too. <laughs> See, what people, listen to me here, what people were worrying about is God's silence through their storm. God can remain silent when you're going through a storm. It could be a ministerial storm. It could be a marriage storm. It could be a health storm. It could be a mental storm. It could be any kind of storm, and sometimes God remains silent. But it does not mean that God's not in control, church. God's always in control. 
Jesus knew that he was going to rebuke the winds and the waves of the sea. God knew that the authority and the power were already there. We don't have to worry. We don't have to worry. Let me show you a couple things. The book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verse number 18. The Bible says, remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing now. It shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Very simply, all God is saying through the prophet Isaiah is stop worrying about your past. There are Christians, there are ministers, there are pastors' wives who are constantly raptured or enraptured in their past. They're worrying about the past. The past is going to catch up with me. The past is coming for me. What happened in my past has not yet filtered through. And they're chasing, they're being chased rather by the past. And they're being haunted by these things. They have nightmares. And their past is under the blood of Jesus. Listen to me here. God said, I will do a new thing now. God is doing something new now. What happened in the past is in the past. What God's doing now is the new thing. And what happens is we get so intoxicated with what happened in the past, what people did to us in the past, who left us in the past, what failed in the past, what ministry didn't work in the past, that we think the past has a hold on us. As long as you hold on to your past, your past will hold on to you. And there's got to come a time when you cut ties with your past. Past lovers, past rebels, past friends who have moved on against God. And you slice that and say, I'm moving on. I've got a new life in Christ starting now. And the people caught up by their past. I talk to people all the time in counseling. And you notice in most counseling sessions, people talk about their past. The focus is, hold on, when did this happen? Oh, this was 17 years ago. And you're talking like it happened yesterday. This is their past. And they worry about it constantly. And they're consumed by it. Listen. The book of Psalms 91, verse number 5. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the, de the destruction that wasteth at noonday. What God's addressing here are people who spend all their time worrying all day long. They wake up in the morning, they're worrying. They're in fear. What's coming? What's coming today? What's coming? What's coming? What's not coming? In the afternoon, they're afraid. What's coming? What's coming? In the night, in the dark, what's coming? What's coming? What's happening? What's coming? And they're consumed. From the moment they get up from their bed in the morning, they're worrying. Literally, their entire day has been filled with worry and anxiety. I can guarantee you there are people like that seated here right now. You love God. You're not living an unclean life. You love the things of God. You're committed. You're devoted. But you are a worry freak. You're constantly worrying all day long. Back in the text, in verse number 34, the Bible says, Take therefore no thought for the morrow or for tomorrow. He says, for the morrow shall take care for the thoughts of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. He's saying, 
stop worrying about your future. Seriously, church, we have to stop worrying about our future. You can't change anything. God holds the future. We don't. I remember some time back, actually recently, Pastor Brown called me or so. We might have been in a meeting or something. He asked me, hey, have you um, looked into pensions yet? And we were kind of laughing, like, you know, once you start talking about pension, you know you're getting old. <laughs> I'm going to be 50 next year, and I realize, hey, you're not always going to be 18. But you know, when you're 18 years old, you're not thinking about pe- Who's thinking about pension when you're 18 years old? Come on. Once you start getting 50, it's like, oh, boy, you know what? Hey, my future. I don't know, man. I better start thinking. I better get some things in place and put them in order. Man, I'm going to be 50. Man, I don't have this, I don't have that, I don't have a house, I don't have, I don't have a pension set up. Yeah, you know what? And then you start to worry. It, it, there's a temptation to begin to worry about the security of your future. What about my kids? What about my wife? What if something were to happen to me? And, and then people start worrying. Maybe you're not as young as you used to be, and now you start to have health issues. And instantly you get, start to worry. Maybe the wife starts worrying. Like, oh, what's, what, if he, what if he dies? All right, I better, better make a secret plan. I'm not sure. He might, he might die. He's got, I know. Okay, let me just look on the Internet. Uh, a lot of people, men, who have this kind of illness or these kind of symptoms, uh, God, they don't really last that long. Uh, I mean, and, 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 so, and so they start to worry about the future. See, this is real life. You can pr- pretend all you want to. This is real life. Right, this is real life. You're not going to be 16 years old forever. There's coming a time when people will die and we'll have to put people in the ground. It's going to happen. And should the Lord tarry, we're all going to die. And we have to prepare ourselves, and I understand that, but not worry ourselves. I'm not worried. I remember there was a time when my wife started getting really concerned about cancer. Cancer is always killing people. Cancer, cancer, cancer. And she'll bring me all these articles. Look, if you have this uh, every morning, if you eat raw garlic, if you do this, it kills cancer. You know, it fights cancer. So finally one day I had to say to my wife, I said, wife, I love you. I said, but you know what, man, this is fear. I said, there comes a time you got to believe God. You can't just all be fear, in fear of cancer because of that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to change this. I'm going to change that. And, yeah, you need to live healthy and you need to take care of your body. You only get one. But I'm not going to be encrippled by fear. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When my time is up, my time is up. Amen. The plane will not fall out of the sky till God says it's time for you to go, son. Cancer can't kill me unless it's my time to die. And when it's your time to die, nothing can stop you from dying. I've heard of people who stumped their foot and died. They went to get a tooth extracted and they died. People who went to bed and died in their sleep. And I've heard of people who've fallen from a 13-story building on concrete and lived. I, heard, I read a story about a man who, who uh, the air, he wasn't wearing his seatbelt on an airplane, and the, 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 the door of the plane uh, came off, uh, and he was sucked out of the aircraft, uh, and he sucked across uh, the land, uh, the, the sky rather, and landed on a haystack in a farm and lived. He was, oh yeah, I'm t- I read it. It's true, because it wasn't his time. He was involved in two car crashes that exploded in flames and still lived. He was on a bus that went off a ravine into a river, and he lived. Everyone else died. He, and here he is, and then finally afterwards, uh, he played a lottery ticket and became a millionaire. And so it, it pretty much wasn't his time to go. So I'm not going to worry. Right? Doesn't mean I'm going to abuse my body, but I'm not going to be worried by this. Worrying about your future. So much that people, they do other things to secure themselves outside their ministry. I've talked to pastors who want to get some kind of degree 
in theology because, you know, they'll recognize you. Like, what, 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 what do you need the degree for? Well, just in case you just never know, anything could happen. Anything could happen. Without saying anything, they're saying something. Anything could happen. So you got to have some things. you got to have some credentials. I said, I don't need any credentials because God holds my future. My certificates don't. That's why my mother, when I first, when I told her I want to become a preacher, she said, son, don't you think you should go to a school of theology, get some kind of formal degree? I said, no, mom, I don't need anything like that. The, the, none of the disciples in the Bible had degrees. That's not an excuse for ignorance, and it's not an excuse to not study and apply yourself. Amen. Always get the balance. Well, the disciples didn't go to university, so I might as well just be a dumb preacher. Listen to this. This is a, a cartoon I saw not too long ago. It's a Charlie Brown cartoon here. And so it says, worrying won't stop the bad stuff from happening. It just stops you from enjoying the good. You know, that's so true. Charlie Brown might be crazy, but, but you know, if you're worrying about all the bad things in the world that are going to happen to you, that's not, worrying doesn't stop those things from coming. But what it does do is it robs you of the good things you could be experiencing in Christ right now. And people are deprived of satisfaction in ministry, in their family, in their lives in general, their well-being, their health, because they're worrying about something that oftentimes never even happens. And they're so paranoid. There's another quote here by Corey Ted Boom. Corey Ten Boom says, worry does not empty tomorrow's sorrow, or it does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. What he's saying is, it's sapping you. As you worry, you're being sapped. You're being drained. There's a leakage, and you're leaking out because you constantly are worrying. All of your strength is being given to worry. And you will not live a fulfilled life. If you worry, you're not going to add one hair strand to your head. This is what Jesus is saying. I was in the nation of Ghana preaching a couple years ago for, for Simeon and, and Harriet. And, um, you know, just before the service, he's making announcements, taking the offering. He's just kind of making some general comments to the church. And then he says to the church, if you worry, and then everyone said, you die. And he says, if you don't worry, and they said, you die. He said, then why worry? You're going to die anyway. In other words, you're worrying for nothing. <laughs> okay, let me wrap this up. Some of you might have heard, when I was in Bristol, when my wife and I were pioneering, we, we um, the, the, the work was actually quite a rapid work, and I know it's because this was God's time for Bristol. And so the, the church began to grow rapidly. People began to get saved, and, and, and I, I remember within six months we were running 50 people. Someone gave us a miracle building, a three-story building. They gave it to us. We got the title deed. They emptied out their church account. It gave us several thousands. We rebuilt the building. We had about 70 people at the time, university kids, most of them. Uh, they were working part-time jobs. And uh, they raised 100,000 pounds, and we rebuilt the entire building. But anyway, what happened was 
behind the stage of this building in the corner, there was a little window, there's a bathroom, and so we broke the bathroom through. That's where we eventually put the drum kit. And there was a window there, and I said, I want you to brick up that window. They were lazy that night. They didn't brick up the window. The builders put a board over it. And in the middle of the night, thieves broke in, and they went up to the second floor in our kitchen. And we, we, had, we had stacked 4,000 pounds worth of equipment, keyboards, bass guitars, amps, speakers, all kinds of stuff, 4,000 pounds worth. And they snatched everything. They took it. So I get a call in the morning. This is like 4 something, 5 in the morning. I'm sleeping in bed there with my wife. One of the guys calls me, Pastor, you need to get up out of bed. We've been robbed. I said, what are you talking about? We've been robbed. Yeah, we've been robbed. You better get up. So I got up. I started walking backwards and forward in my bedroom like this. I've never done this in all my life. I started doing this. How many know when you're doing this, you're worrying? And I was worrying. I said, God, 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 what is this? What is this? These are your people, precious people. They've sacrificed. They've given. How do we, what do I say to them? They've made, they've paid such a great price. This can't be 4,000. Where am I going to get 4,000 pounds from to replace all this? And so then I got back in bed. I said, you know. Then I finally said, no, I can't sleep. Knowing we've been burgled, I got out of bed again. Put my clothes on, and I went downstairs, and I sat in my car. I kid you not, I started to pray. I said, Lord, I said, there are three quarters of a million people in this city, 750,000 people. I said, you know the man who stole the equipment. <laughs> Listen, I said, please show me the man. <laughs> you know, God, God responded to me. I, I heard him clearly. He spoke to me. He said, son, I can't. I said, Lord, why can't you? He said, because if I do, you will hurt somebody. I said, Lord, I promise you, if you show me the man, I won't hurt anyone. I'm telling you, but just to help me. Then I didn't hear from God anymore. I mean, God really does have a sense of humor. He just went quiet on me. I'm like, okay. So I drove to church. I get to church. I see the brother who alarmed me. He had, his, he had a 4 by 4 Jeep. Uh, he said, let's go to the police station. So I parked my car, got into his car. And so he's driving to the He turned down this road to go to the police. And then all of a sudden, a voice spoke to me and said, turn down that road. And I said to the brother, I said, the voice just spoke to me to turn down. The, now remember, this is just about six o'clock in the morning. It's dark. So we turned down this tiny alley road, this little alleyway. And as we're going through the dark, there are no street lights. Uh, I see a couple walking across the grass and the voice spoke to me again. It says, call that couple over here. I said, the voice spoke to me again. It said to call the couple. So we stopped the Jeep, called the couple. When they got to the, 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 the vehicle, we told them what had happened. They opened the back door, jumped in and drove us to the house of the man who stole everything. When we, listen to me here, when we knocked at the door, the man opened the door. I said, we are from the potter's house. Uh, we've been, someone uh, burgled our building. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. He says, I robbed you at three in the morning. It's not even six. How did you find me? I said, because there's a God in heaven that reveals secrets. <laughs> Steve Marshall, one of my disciples at the time, you know, Steve Marshall, he's now pastoring the church in Bristol. Uh, Steve Marshall has, uh, he, he has done uh, Taekwondo, and so he's a black belt in Taekwondo, and he wanted to do a Bruce Lee. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. 
I, I, I promised the Lord we wouldn't hurt him. You know, we witnessed to the thief. He never got saved, never came to church. But nevertheless, we took all the equipment back, and we carried it to church. And when we walked through the doors, people had come for morning prayer. They were upset. Some were crying. People were walking backwards and forwards. People were worrying. But I realized something, church, and that is God was always in control. God knew the end from the beginning. God could see it. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Though weeping may endure for a night, joy comes in the morning. There is a silver lining in the cloud that hangs over your head and the best is yet to come. Your best days are yet ahead of you and not behind you. You've got to believe these things will lift the spirit of worry from us. That's why I don't worry anymore. We had our conference, powerful conference some years ago um, and, 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 and it was Wednesday, actually it was Wednesday just like this, and during the conference, uh, uh, the landlord had sent some representatives uh, and some lawyers and solicitors, and they came. They said, we want to talk to the pastor of the church. We went into a back room, and when we got there, they said to me, they said, yeah, uh, they've decided they're going to knock the entire building down uh, and, uh, because uh, it was only a lease agreement and not a, a proper lease. It was just an arrangement, rather, not, not an agreement. So we, you need to move out. You need to evacuate this building. Uh, this was that big building we had. We had bought 1,200 chairs. Uh, we had a powerful conference. Uh, and you know what? Uh, I remember him saying to me, you know, you have till next Wednesday. So we had the last service would be on the Sunday, which was three days later. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So four days later, we're going to have our last service. Uh, and then I had nowhere to take 400 people. Think about this. And, and I, I'm just, I said, okay, no problem. Thank you very much for, uh, for notifying us. Uh, and I went back. I said, I got to enjoy the rest of the conference. Pastor Mitchell was preaching, Pastor Joe Campbell. I said, I'm not going to let anybody rob my joy. I got to get what God has for me. I'm not going to get myself worrying. That's why my hair hasn't fallen out yet. Uh, and I still have black hair. Everything hasn't turned gray yet. Oh, yeah, that's the reason why. Because I refuse to worry. And someone asked me, aren't you worried? Aren't you concerned? I said, no. I said, because it's not my church, it's God's church. God knows what he's doing with the church. He knows what he's doing with this conference body. God knows what our future beholds. We're going to trust him. Trust him with our marriages. Trust him with our children. Trust him with our future. Trust him with our fellowship. Trust him with everything that we have. Listen to me here. Whatever God has given me, God can take away from me because it came from God. Nothing that we have came of its own, of its own self. You did not form it. Not some other kind of circumstance in the world brought it to you. It was divine, and when God's ready to take it, nobody can stop him. And when God's ready to bless you, there's not a demon in the underworld that can curse you. When God has blessed you, there's no need to worry. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. God has called you to overcome. He's called you to be the head and not the tail. You can make it. You can make it. You can overcome. You can conquer. You can get the victory. You don't have to be oppressed. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be suppressed. You can believe God and begin to have faith once again. Jesus said, don't take any thought. He's not saying empty your mind out. He's saying, don't overthink. And that is all I have for you here.